I remember going into the hospital. Uh, I, my son was breached, so I'd have a C-section with him. And I remember uh, going to the hospital and getting weighed that morning. And I wanted to cry being on the scale, seeing how heavy I had gotten. Yeah. I didn't even want, I was praying that my husband wasn't over my shoulder looking to see as I was getting weighed in because I couldn't believe how much I had let my body go. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode three of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. I had such a blast sitting down with my third guest, my girl, Allie Cat 216 Let me just say, Jersey people can talk. This is a long but fun convo, and I hope that you'll listen to Allie's inspiring story And perhaps it can keep you company if you're driving home on a long train ride or flight to go visit friends and family to celebrate the Thanksgiving holidays. We hit the TiVo button on her life and dialed it all the way back to her high school days where I found out Allie was a stud pitcher on the softball team and got her first exposure to running. And although she wasn't the best runner on the team, she was ultimately named captain. And I think it says a lot about Allie's personality. She's just one of those kind of people you want to hang with and you want to roll with. A couple of years later, she ends up at Seton Hall for her college years. And like most of us, she hit that party scene a little too hard. Enjoying some drinking, enjoying the frat life, and actually took up smoking. A couple of years later, she meets Chris. They get married, they settle down, and they get pregnant with their first child. During the pregnancy, Allie gains about 60 pounds, isn't feeling particularly good about where she's at, and decides she wants to make some changes. She studies her nutrition, gets back to the gym, is hitting the elliptical, but isn't really feeling it at that point, and decides to get reacquainted with her old friend running, and decides to lace up her shoes. She did some research and found a local running group called Moms Run This Town, and hooks up with three other badass mom runners, Ashley, Naomi, Eileen, who become super tight friends of hers, and they are all awesome. They welcomed her in, they answered her beginner questions, and they made her feel comfortable. And isn't that what it's all about? So let's dive right in to the rest of Allie's inspiring story, and I hope you all enjoy it as much as Allie and I did. Morning, Allie. Welcome to episode three of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Hey, Ron. How are you this morning? So happy to be here. Hey, this is pretty awesome stuff. We've been talking about getting together for a sit down and we finally pulled it off. I know. I think it's, God, been two months since we were in Berlin talking about this. And obviously we chatted about your plans to launch the uh, the podcast back over the summer. So it's been some time. Yeah, it's all it's all slowly been coming together. So what do you think of my studio over here? We got we got waterfront studio over here in Weehawken in the estuary. We got views of New York City. It's a little foggy and rainy out there. We got runners cruising by out on the street. What do you think? Uh, couldn't be any better than this. I mean, the views, the fireplace going, we got our espressos. Perfect Sunday, rainy morning. I love it. Yeah, me too. 
Thanks, thanks for the coffee, by the way, and the gluten-free muffin. Uh, hit the spot. <laughs> yeah. The only thing is we should probably be having a cocktail, but, you know, is it too early at 9.09? I don't know. Uh, it's Sunday. It's never too early. Yeah, that's true. We'll wait. Otherwise, this might be a little sloppy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I don't know. It might be a more fun episode. Who knows? We'll experiment. Sounds good. <laughs> I think a future episode needs to get done at Roots with some really good red wine and steaks, for sure. We need to do a restaurant review podcast. That's in the future. Well, certainly must have me back on. <laughs> oh, you'll, you'll, be, you'll definitely be at that table, for sure. So um, you had a phenomenal Berlin, and that's super exciting. And for anybody listening out there, Ali ran 305. Yep. Which is a major breakthrough. What was your PR before that? Uh, I ran 312.47 in Chicago in uh, 2018. That is a monster PR for anybody out there who's following at home. Thank you. Which is just huge. But we're not going to start off there. I just want everybody to know what a badass rock star she is crushing that 305. She left my ass in the dust by 10 plus minutes that day. Uh, but that's, that's a beautiful thing. I love when my friends are killing it. And uh, I thought... Allie has a real interesting story um, before even before giving birth to her two beautiful children, marriage, all that other stuff, kind of where her journey started before she even joined the running world. And I thought maybe we'd start off there and tell that story. And I think it'd be interesting for the people that are going to be listening today. For sure. So I, uh, I actually was an athlete pretty much my entire life. Uh, I played softball, basketball, gymnastics as a kid. I uh, really got into softball uh, as I got older. And what position? I, I was a pitcher. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, the old windmill. <laughs> love it. Um, yeah. So I had all intentions of going to high school and trying out for the softball team. And uh, I heard this crazy rumor that you would to run a six minute mile. And if you didn't do it, you were cut day one. Wow. I, I mean, I couldn't run to the block <laughs> without being winded. So my freshman year, I decided I'm going to go out for the cross country team. And I did. And I ended up loving it. I loved it so much that I never even tried out for softball that year. You ditched your favorite sport. I know. I couldn't believe it. But it was, it was the team aspect that kept me there. And I made some great teammates. We had some amazing times over the years. Um, but that kind of died by the time I was a senior. Uh, I was captain of the cross country team. I wasn't the best runner, but I guess I was, my coach saw me as a leader, which is why I was captain. Um, but I was getting a little bit too much into the party scene at that point. <laughs> the party scene yeah. pulls, pulls us all at some point. Now, where did you go to high school? Uh, Immaculate Heart Academy. Yeah. All girls school I in New Jersey. It. Yep. And where is Immaculate Heart again? Washington Township. Washington Bergen Township. Bergen County. Yep. Got it. Bergen County. Yeah. So I, uh, I didn't run spring track that year. I was going to parties, drinking. I started smoking, which I'm not proud of, but it's all part of the story and all about where I'm at today. So I guess something to, you know, look back on, but yeah. So running just went out the window at that point. And I was all about going to college and being a party girl. <laughs> hit, the, hit the party scene. Seat, yeah. Seton Hall, right? Yes. Yeah. I grew up in Maplewood, South Orange. So uh, my brother went to Seton Hall prep. So definitely uh, that experience, very aware of it. Uh, part of that whole campus life. It, it's something that draws us all in at that age. Yeah, um, or it, it, it either is or isn't. Um, I went to James Madison University, played um, college baseball, Division One, And it's interesting because the, the pull and the inertia is so strong. And mm -hmm. I just have one of those kind of personalities where we were just talking a little before we came on the air about, you know, I have that kind of compulsive, addictive kind of personality. 
But interestingly, I don't follow any of those compulsions or addictions right. the way most people would. You know, I love red wine. You love red wine. We love a good meal and that whole kind of family atmosphere of being at the table together, sharing a great meal. But I want to drink that really good wine with friends and family. I'm not interested in cracking open that great bottle at home and drinking by myself or opening up a bottle of scotch or whiskey. Right. But other people, once they get going on that path, they have a hard time kind of reversing it or getting off course. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I was a heavy drinker or anything. You know, I was going to the frat parties and doing that whole scene. But, you know, I was smoking quite a bit back then, you know, a pack, maybe two packs of cigarettes a day. Um, I look back and I'm like, I spent so much money on smoking. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's, isn't it? It's amazing to look back at something like that and say, how did I do this? Or I can't believe I did this now. So now you were a runner cross country or an athlete, you're playing sports. And at this point you're into the college scene. Are you active at this point? Are you doing anything athletically at this point? You just live, you're living that life. Yeah. 12 ounce, 12 ounce curls. That's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. That's not, I mean, that's what's part of the experience, right? I don't even think I owned a pair of running shoes or tennis shoes for that, fa for that matter. Oh, that's, that's great. And, you know, we, one thing we talked about when we all had our dinner, you were there when they had the big fire yeah. at Seton Hall, right? Yep. It was Tell, on my floor. That's, uh, that's got to be like a life-changing experience. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, uh, I was a freshman at Seton Hall at the time, and we had had, I don't know, something like 27 false alarms. Uh, it was just a prank that people would do. And during finals week, it was real bad. You know, the fire alarm was getting pulled three, four times a night, and no one was leaving. So uh, that January, January 19th, um, the alarm got pulled, and actually it was the night before rush. So my roommate and I had gone and checked out a bunch of sororities and we were going to rush the following night. And we were up till almost 430 in the morning, just chatting what sorority we're going to do. I mean, <laughs> the, the things in life that seemed so important at the time, and, uh, but it was it at was, that point. Absolutely. Um, and scene hall had beaten St. John's in basketball that night. And it was a huge win for them at the time. So everyone was up partying and making a lot of noise and people went to bed late and, uh, about four 25 in the morning, the fire alarm went off and we were like, seriously, it's, and we were still awake. We we're like, seriously, it's January. It had just snowed. We're yeah. like, I'm not going outside. This is crazy. Um, then we started her hearing a lot of stuff going on in the hallway. So my roommate and I got up and, um, uh, we got our other suite mates up. We went to the door. We opened it, and it was nothing but a wall of smoke from floor to ceiling. The uh, we later learned that the fire was started only ten feet from our our dorm room. So wow, yeah, it was. I, I mean, you just never think that you're going to be in a situation like that. And uh, you know, we, we didn't know what to do. I mean, you don't know what to do. Who does? Um, so. We knew that the smoke was so intense because when we opened the door, it basically took the breath right out of you. And uh, we said, all right, let's just, all five of us, um, fortunately, we had a, a roommate who had a broken leg, was home for the weekend. Oh, my god! So we all stuck our heads out the window, um, and we basically were like, well, we'll just stay here until the fire comes into our room. And when the fire comes in, then we'll jump. And at where our dorm room what was. What floor were you on? We were on the third, but that side of the building, it was four floors up. So, um, and it was all concrete. Oh my gosh. So, fortunately, we didn't have to jump, but it felt like forever that the uh, fire department came and uh, rescued us from our window. And we climbed down one of those crazy long ladders. And, you know, the dorm rooms are super hot in the winter. So, we had tanks and, you know, boxer shorts on and, you know, 
10 degree weather. And we were, we were lucky that night because there was people that were not lucky. Yeah. So that's, that's literally my hair standing up on my arms. That's, it's chilling. Um, yeah. You're out there, you know, you got the place could burn down. You're you got smoke. You have absolutely no idea what to do. Yep. Nobody does. Um, unless you're a fireman or a rescue person, you don't know what the right thing to do is. You could have all been asleep. You mm-hmm. could have all had, you know, just so much to drink that you just slept through it or yep. passed out and didn't wake up or whatever. Um, so thank God you're with us today. Knock on wood. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, the, there was three guys, three boys that died that night. Um, and, uh, several others that were burnt, uh, life threatening injuries and, you know, people that just lived in the dorm that were scarred for life because of what they saw and what they heard, the screams and, you know, something that, you, that, that night, the feelings of that night, they, they never go away. I could still sense what it felt like. I could still smell what a, a fire burning is like or a building burning. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, it's, it's, it's traumatic. It's PTSD. Yeah. And it's, it's something that will, will never leave you. Yeah. Um, it, it'll be with you forever. And, you know, thank God you got out of there and your friends got out of there. And it's so awful for the families and the children who didn't. Yeah. You said they're kids. Yeah. They literally are. They're kids. And it's sad. Um, Certainly never a call you want to get from your child that's away at college, you know, or I mean, I remember they took us to the hospital for smoke inhalation and I remember seeing it on the news and, uh, you know, they said that there was people that were unaccounted for and you you just, you're like, I can't believe this happened, you know, and it was when I got home from the hospital that day, they released the names of the three boys that, that passed and it was like, holy cow, one of them lived across the hall from me. We were in his room all the time. So it's crazy. 18 years old, you don't expect to have to deal with something like that. No, I don't, I don't think anybody, I, I really, I don't think it really matters what age you are. Those kind of traumatic events in life, none of us are equipped. Right. You can be 60 or 50 as a parent. You can be 18. You could be 30 or 40. Yeah. There's really no age, um, whether you're involved in the school. And I'm sure they did counseling and everything after Absolutely. to try to help the students um, the same way they would do if there was a shooting or anything else that's yeah. traumatic. But no matter what they do, it affects us all individually yep. and quite differently. Like you said, you were across the hall from someone and they're not there with you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's powerful stuff. And I, I don't want to say the good thing that came out of it, because uh, of course we wish that night never happened, but um, New Jersey didn't have laws as far as sprinklers in dorms at the time. And after the fire, it was a state-mandated state um, law to put sprinklers in dorms. And I, I, I could be wrong, but I think it's a nationwide thing as well now. Well, sadly, that kind of change usually doesn't come about until right. something dramatic like that right. to really make us take notice and um, realize where deficiencies are in a system, where the breakdowns are. But wow, that's, uh, <laughs> that will easily be a story that cannot be topped on this show. Yeah. Um, and, and a powerful one. So there's your college at that point. Where do you go from there? And how do you get from being a smoker, a two-pack-a-day two smoker at yeah. that? Like, take us through your journey before you come back to running. Because obviously sure. it was in your blood. <laughs> you know, you cross-country and even being softball, being a pitcher. You're out in the field. You're an athletic yep. kid, obviously. You got it in your genes. But take us take us through that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I graduated college. I you know, went into the working force, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I changed my major a bunch of times in college. I think a lot of kids do. I mean, who knows what they want to do when they're 18, 19 years old. Um, started working and, you know, I was out there 
just living the single life. I had, you know, boyfriends here and there, whatever. Um, ended up meeting my husband. I was about 27 years old. And both of us like going out, having a good time, going to bars on the weekends, hopping on the motorcycle. Um, we got engaged, got married, and that was the rest was history. I was, I was still smoking at the time. I was embarrassed that I was still smoking. Um, I didn't want to be that bride in the white dress with a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. So I actually didn't smoke on my wedding day. Um, and then probably I'd say that we got married in October. And then that March, I found out I was pregnant. And uh, <laughs> we had happened, to, I must have been traveling for work and I came home and my husband and I, we love our wine, had too much wine or I had too much wine in usual fashion. <laughs> <laughs> and I, had, I was working from home the next day and I, I remember having quite the hangover, but I had this weird feeling that I might be pregnant. Um, so I took a pregnancy test and while I was waiting for the, uh, the, the, the test to come through, I sat on my front steps and I had a cigarette and I, I felt so awful from drinking so much the night before I couldn't even finish the cigarette, but I was like, I should have at least one cigarette. Cause what if I am pregnant, you know? And I went back into the bathroom. I saw the pregnancy test and sure enough, I was pregnant and something came over my body at that moment. And I took that pack of cigarettes. I threw it in the garbage and I never looked back after that. And this is how long ago? See, my son was born in 2011. So uh, March of 2011. March of 2011. Yeah. Wow. So we're like nine, almost nine, almost nine years. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So that was the life event yeah. that triggered. I mean, you are people that are smoking. It's probably the single most addictive thing in the world. Nicotine yeah. that, that it's almost an unbreakable thing. That's why there's smoking cessation and hypnotism and yeah. 9,000 ways patches because it's literally probably the single hardest thing to break yeah. as an addiction goes. And, but it took a life-changing event. Or, right. I mean, you were battling guilt. I mean, you're talking about being in your wedding dress and not wanting to be that person. Yeah. So you you didn't like the image of it anyway, no. but yet it has this hold on you, this power. Yeah. And I was, I was turning 30 in... Um, 2011. So I wanted that January for my New Year's resolution. It's like, I, I want to quit smoking by the time I'm 30. So that January uh, before March, um, I was like, I, I'm going to do everything in my power to, to quit. So I started cutting back and it was so hard. I remember like battling with myself. How am I ever going to quit smoking if I get pregnant? Because it's so hard. And I don't know if it was the nicotine for me as much as it was the habit of it. You know, you go and buy a cup of coffee and you have a cigarette with it. You finish a really great meal, you know, really great glass of wine. You go have a cigarette. Um, it was that habit that I enjoyed the most. Um, and I, I didn't know how I was going to do it. But clearly that life changing moment of finding out I was pregnant changed everything for me. And so you went cold turkey. after yeah. that. that is so it's so rare. Um, to be able to make that clean break like that. Um, we talked a little bit before we came on live, you know, growing up with my mom, yeah. my two brothers and I, three wild Indians, a year and a half apart, and how different it was for us growing up. We rode our bicycles to the park that was, well, we felt like it was five or 10 miles away. It was probably three blocks away, but everything <laughs> seemed that big. Of course. When you're a kid, like the world is like huge. And it, it, it was probably four blocks. I'll have to go back to some of the old neighborhoods to see, but 
I clearly remember my older brother being in charge of us. Wow, he was really, he was really in charge when he was a year older than me. But this is the way we rolled. You know, we rode our bikes and went to the park all day. You come back after 10, 12 hours of playing baseball, hide and seek, and five other crazy activities where you burn 10 million calories. And my mom would be like, okay, one of you has to go to the store. And we'd all look at each other. I'm not going. We were just in the park all day. <laughs> and, you know, maybe, maybe a little wrestling ensued, but whoever lost had to go. And it'd be like, pick up some milk, pick up some orange juice and get me a pack of cigarettes. And, you know, at one point you just have no awareness of what it is. But as you start to get a little yeah. older and you're living in a small home like we were, nobody likes the actual smell. I mean, it's, it's terrible. You don't want it on your clothes. You yeah. don't want to breathe it in. It makes you cough. It makes your eyes run. It's got all those other characteristics that we all know are just awful. And, you know, my mom was, you know, had that compulsion addiction that she couldn't mm -hmm. break. And we got to an age where we were able to kind of voice, you know, this concern that we didn't want to do it. It wasn't like, mom, we want you to stop smoking. It was just like we were basically, you know, kind of pushing back that we didn't want to go to the store to get it. And the funny thing is for her, that was that life-changing moment. Yeah. She just realized, you know what, if my kids don't want to get this for me in the store, then this is not good. And I need to, I need to break this habit. And so she hit that moment that you did on the curb, you know, when you found out you were pregnant and just was able to do the, do the same thing. Cold Turkey. Yeah. Wow. But you, you may be two, you may be two of the only people I've ever met in my whole yeah. life that didn't go through any of the other ways, you know, yeah. whether it was some kind of counseling or therapy or hypnotherapy or nicotine patches or anything in between, or maybe stopped and came back, stopped and came back, stopped and came back. Yep. So, so kudos to you. Yeah. Thank um, you. <laughs> and uh, so what a difference that had to make. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, 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 at this point I was still not really active. Mm -hmm. Um, I had joined the gym, uh, right before I got married, you know, I went to get in good shape for the wedding and everything, yeah. but I was, you know, the elliptical and, you know, some bicep curls, like nothing. <laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing. And 12 ounce curls still. Still. Yes. Yeah, they're still part of the story for sure. Um, so, I mean, I, I was in shape. I wasn't healthy, but I yeah. wasn't, you know, overweight or anything like that. Um, but when I got pregnant, I, I think it was a big double whammy. Um, you know, I was still going to the gym, but I was eating, you know, taking the eating for two thing really to the extreme. It's really a myth out there. <laughs> so anyone that's pregnant and might be listening to this, you're not really supposed to be eating for two. But I was. Um, you followed the letter of the law. They told you to do it. They said it was right, okay. Right, right. So I was eating a lot. Um, and I think the quitting of smoking, you know, that smoking suppresses your appetite. So I think I was even more hungry because of that. And I ended up gaining an excessive amount of weight um, with that first pregnancy. I think I stopped counting over 65 pounds. Um, wow. Now, your daughter or son is first? My son. Your son is first. Yeah. So you're carrying your son. You quit smoking. You're going through these life changes. You're eating for two, and you literally do take it literally. Yeah. You, you gain 60 to 65 pounds. It Probably was more. I remember going into the hospital. Uh, I, my son was breached, so I'd have a C-section with him. And I remember uh, going to the hospital and getting weighed that morning. And I wanted to cry being on the scale, seeing how heavy I had gotten. Yeah. I didn't even want, I was praying that my husband wasn't over my shoulder looking to see as I was getting weighed in because I couldn't believe how much I had let my body go um, through all of that. It was, it was really tough. It's emotional. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And as someone that never struggled with weight in their life, um, I, I I couldn't believe I had gotten to that point. And this is 
as you're leaving the hospital. Uh, well, as I was getting checked in to have my surgery, it was you're, a C-section. You're yeah. getting checked in to have it. So right yep. just before you're going in to give birth to your first son. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So, and also hormones are crazy high at that point. For and sure. women carrying a baby, I mean, it's it's amazing just how much you're dealing with. Your bodies are getting ready to do this remarkable thing, but your hormones are all over the place even after giving birth. Yep. So there's there's just so much swimming around in there. So you you give birth, you have the C-section, everything's yep. healthy with your son. Yep. You go home. So where, where do we go from there? I go home and I go back to, you know, my normal life. I didn't start smoking again. Um, you know, going Yay. to the gym. Yes. <laughs> um, going to the gym and, you know, I was breastfeeding and, you know, still eating a lot because, you know, I had to make up all those calories I was losing with nursing and everything. And, um, you know, two and a half years later, I'm still holding on to about 35, 40 pounds. I just, I, I couldn't lose the baby weight. Po Post-pregnancy. Yeah. The weight that you'd put on, you're still yep. holding on to Yeah, that. so I, I lost a, a good amount of it, but like I said, you know, 35, 40 pounds over what I weighed from, you know, and I'll call it when I got married, because mm -hmm. um, that was, I guess, I'd say my starting weight at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember being in my brother and sister-in-law's wedding and seeing pictures from the professional photographer, and I couldn't believe how large my arms looked. And yeah. at this point, my husband and I were thinking of having another child and people were telling me, oh, you know, if you have that second child and you haven't lost the baby weight from the first, you're going to have such a hard time losing it. And that just really resonated with me. And I said, I've, I've got to figure it out. I got to figure out how I'm going to lose this weight. At this point, um, you know, I was 30s, in my early 30s, my body was changing. I went through, you know, all the hormones of the first pregnancy. And I just, I wasn't the same person that I was when I was 27 years old that could put anything into my body, you know, eat a Big Mac for lunch and have <laughs> pizza for dinner. And I could wake up and not gain a pound. Sure. Um, so I started doing research on healthier eating and different types of exercise. And, you know, the elliptical wasn't doing anything for me. The stationary bike wasn't doing anything for me. So I said, you know what, I'm going to start running again. Yes. <laughs> yes. And um, so it was like about Christmas before 2014, uh, a friend of mine got me a Fitbit, one of those activity trackers. I think they were like the first on the market at the time. And I was like, all right, I'm going to see if I could do 10,000 steps a day. And I started uh, logging what I was eating. I wasn't counting calories so much as I was looking to see what I was putting into my body um, every day. And it, that was a really big game changer for me. I, you know, I was eating probably double the amount of calories for what I was, you know, what a person of my size should be eating and of my activity level. Um, so I started changing my diet. Like I said, I started running um, that January, January four, uh, 2014. And I lost all that baby weight I was holding on to by that June. Six months. Six months. Yeah. yeah. See, this is, um, this is so powerful. Uh, there, there's so many people, when we get into a rut or we get stuck, um, divorce, job change, we're not happy with our, there's so much going on with body image, body shaming. Hey, you know, at the end of the day, because you know how I feel about David Goggins, right? Yeah. <laughs> Seeing him in Central Park this week and getting to talk to him in person, just just having that actually happen is like a life-changing moment. But you, you got to take ownership of stuff in your life. And I think there's just not enough people around her willing to do that. You, yeah. you were willing to do that. My mom was willing to do that. Hey, if my boys are so uncomfortable and so unhappy about me asking them to go buy them 
cigarettes from you. I need to stop this habit. It's bad. Yes, it does have a big impact on your weight. I remember distinctly her telling me yeah. that, that her weight went up when she stopped smoking. So you figured that out. She figured that out. But you got to replace that. Like most habits in life or thing, crutches or things that we lean on, yeah. you've got to figure out, well, how do I offset this? And for you, you went back to your old friend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but more importantly than that, because I think that's the, the missing ingredient that a lot of people want to look at here. They think, oh, I'll join the gym and this will solve my problem. No, you need to really look at, what am I eating? And yeah. I'm not saying you need to become a vegan or anything like that, but nutritionally, what are you eating? How many calories should you be eating? I made the biggest candy junkie, sugar junkie on planet Earth. So people might look at me and say, hey, how the hell does this guy still weigh 150 pounds the same way he weighed in high school? Well, yeah, I, I'm able to pull that off because I run so much. If I didn't, I'd weigh 10 pounds or 15 pounds more literally like that. Yeah. That's how quick it would happen. It wouldn't be a week, but it'd probably be about two weeks for it to settle in. Yep. And that's what a difference exercising to the level that we do as runners can have on your life. But you've got to make a tremendous amount of sacrifices. Absolutely. And you know um, somebody with two young children and all those activities, swimming, camps, sports, school things. Uh, I can close my eyes and I'm, I'm back there. Ronnie's graduating college now. I remember, you know, coaching all of his travel baseball teams and having 20 kids sleeping over <laughs> the two levels of my townhouse and <laughs> stepping over bodies and making blueberry pancakes for the kids in the morning. Or going to the diner with them and pe people would come up and go, are these kids all yours? I'm, oh yeah, they're all mine. <laughs> See, because they all look just yeah. like me, yeah. right? Yeah, great. Intelligent question. We love those kind of questions. Oh, yeah. So you, you make this massive change in January of 2014. Yep. In six months time, you lose all of the weight. Yeah. It's remarkable. Now, how are you starting to feel? I'm, I'm feeling great. And, uh, I mean, when you f take us back to yeah. literally January, you first, First time you lace them up on your shoes. What did it I, feel like? How far did you make it? Uh, How out of breath were you? Talk about that very first one. I remember I was a part of this mom's group. Um, and I remember posting in there like, why can't I run, you know, two miles without feeling like I'm dying? Like, when are my lungs going to stop, <laughs> stop burning? Um, and they were just like, you know, slow down your pace. Yeah, and yeah. I, But that runner's high returned. Yes. And I remember Boom. why I loved running so much when yeah. I was in high school. And um, I remember driving through my town and seeing a sign for a 5K. And I said, I'm going to sign up for that race. I'm doing this, baby. I'm in. <laughs> and so I made that my goal. And it was on Mother's Day. Now, are you in Summit at this point? Yeah. Or are you, okay, yep. so you guys are in Summit. Yep. It was the uh, the Mother's Day 5K. It's in Berkeley Heights. And I've run it every year since 2014. And uh, I go and I run the race that May. And I ran maybe 26 minutes and change. I love but it. I was dying. If you, I, I've posted the pictures on my Instagram page before. You see me, my face is like beat, beat red. Yeah. And I, I was dying. Probably went out way too fast. Was running, you know, super slow last third mile. Sure. Um, but it was that moment that I was like, I'm going to one day run a marathon. And I wanted to do it. And New York City was going to be the one that I wanted to do. That and, was, so that's where the idea. Yeah. Like, formed yep. literally from that first 5k yeah so runners group other moms lungs burning all these little things are happening and you the idea of running you know three miles is foreign at this point <laughs> but then you you do the 5k yep. you do your first one that's like wow i can do a marathon but 
let's put some context out there. So this is 2014, 2014. Right? 2014, because I love time and events and yep. following things. So 2014, you run a 5K in 26 minutes. Yeah. Which is not quite nine minutes a mile, but it's certainly probably 845-ish, something like something that. Something like that. And I'm pretty good with the, the math and the distances and the numbers. So think about that for anybody listening, because I know that there's a ton of people that are going to listen to this show that are the hardcore runners, that are friends of ours, that are community, quote unquote. But I want to pull the people in that aren't runners at all, or mm -hmm. runners like you, and stopped, or started smoking, or had kids, or had a bad divorce, or had issues with drinking. We want to bring those people back off the couch. We want to get them active again. And when listening to your story, almost nine minutes a mile for three miles, you just ran Berlin in 305, which let's see, 703, 704. Close, 704. 704. <laughs> Not bad. Yep. No charts in front of me, no yeah. 7.04 per mile. Seven minutes and four seconds a mile for 26 miles. Not just 26 miles, everybody. It was a rainy day at the end. It got windy at the end. It got rainy at the end. A flat course, a fast course. But think about that. Three miles, almost nine minutes a mile, almost two minutes a mile faster for 26 miles. And that's from 2014 to 2019. And that's the, the 5K is when? June? Um, it was in May. It was in May. It was in May. And we just ran in Berlin was September. Right. It's, it's, it's remarkable. It's, it's, and I had another pregnancy within there. So, yeah. <laughs> so take out nine months there. Check out Ron leaving out important details in the yeah. story. I'm, I'm fired as podcast host. We're going to have to get somebody <laughs> else in this chair, man. I don't know what the hell's going on here. We got to, I got to get my shit together, people. Come Seriously. On, really? I mean, honestly, how do I leave that out? Child one comes, child two. Yeah. Right? So I, I ran that, that 5K in May. I lost all the, all the, preg, uh, the pre-pregnancy or the pregnancy weight from baby number one by that June. And somewhere in mid-June of that same year that I just lost all that weight, I was pregnant with my second child. Yes. <laughs> so um, I went to the first doctor's appointment. Uh, I assumed I was going to have a second C-section you know, most doctors say you have one C-section, all your babies are C-sections. My doctor says to me, well, you're a really great candidate for a VBAC, which is a vaginal birth after cesarean. And I said, oh, really? I said, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> think this practice did that. <laughs> so one thing she said to me, she said, you know, Al, you can't gain all that weight again. If you want to be a candidate for this, and I think you're an excellent candidate because you didn't go through any labor with your first child. Um, you can't gain the same amount of weight you gain with your first pregnancy. So I had a bit of a, a fuel to my fire and a, a new goal. I yeah. wanted to have that V back and I vowed to have a very healthy second pregnancy. Little did she know she was like throwing, throwing the challenge out there. You can't gain all this weight. <laughs> what the fuck is she talking about? Right. Is it a woman or a guy? I'm it's not, a woman. It's a woman. I thought you said it was she. How dare her? Yeah. She, can't, she doesn't know what she's messing with. Yeah, but if you gain a lot of weight, it makes the risk of having a VBAC a lot higher. Um, there's, a, you know, potential of tearing uh, uterine walls and all sorts of yeah. terrible stuff that can go on. So for me, I, you know, I was fortunate that my recovery from the C-section was very easy, but um, no one wants to have major surgery again, yeah. you know. No. Um, I mean, here I am eight years past when I had that surgery. I still can't feel my stomach. So, you know. Anyways, um, so I was like, I'm going to have a healthy pregnancy, and 
I watched what I ate. I ran my entire pregnancy up until 34 weeks. Uh, Beautiful. I had to stop because there were some markers on my 12-week blood scan that showed that there's a potential for slowed growth, slowed to no growth in the third trimester with my daughter. So my doctor said, listen, I just don't want you, you know, doing any sort of intense pounding on the road. You can still continue to exercise. So I did, you know, ride the stationary bike and I did the elliptical lightly. Old friend elliptical. Yeah. Came and, back uh, into the mix. Some walking on the treadmill. So I did stay um, active until the day before I had my daughter. Nice. So, and she was late. <laughs> she was late. Yeah. And how, like, comparing your weight gain from the first baby to the second, was it? I think I gained 30 pounds. So if, significant yeah. difference. You, you, if I ever show pictures of what I look like at 30 weeks with my daughter versus 30 weeks with my son, it's incredible. I, yeah. I barely look pregnant at 30 wow. weeks. Yeah. Wow. So that's, but even that, there's, there's some lessons in there, yeah. you know, for sure. But, you know, you just weren't, you had so many other things going against you, you know, that first time around. Yeah. And you, but you applied everything that you had learned from the first time around and you, you put it to good use to prepare yourself for what was ahead of you. Yeah. And then, but you had some complications with the birth, right? Um, it, it was, I mean, a pretty, like I said, you know, I had the, the, the risk of the slowed growth mm -hmm. in the third trimester. So I was being monitored weekly and getting ultrasc ultrasounds, um, Weekly, just to make sure that the baby was, you know, in fact, growing. Um, and then the the birth was pretty normal, I guess. Um, you know, I, I had never experienced labor before that. Um, I was in labor for maybe like 36 hours. And interestingly enough, my daughter is born the day after me, after my birthday. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I went into labor on my birthday. And... Uh, so were, were you pushing extra hard to try to get, get her out on your birthday? No, I didn't want to share that day with her. <laughs> or you were holding back then. See, there you go. Yeah, so she was born at 11-something the next morning. Ah, um, that's yeah. great. But, um, you know, we had, when I was in the hospital, you know, the, the, the labor started slowing and her heart rate started um, going up. And uh, I had a wonderful labor and delivery nurses that helped walk me through everything and I was very lucky. I got that, that V back. So no second cesarean section for me. What hospital? <laughs> Overlook. Yes. <laughs> Overlook. Atlantic Health, my client. Yes. Got to give some love to them. <laughs> Overlook yeah. Medical Center. That's my people. Yeah. Good stuff. It's great. Great facilities. Atlantic is wonderful. Uh, wonderful organization. Yeah. I, I had a great experience rate. there. Um, my doctors were phenomenal. The nurses were phenomenal. Um, you know, I was out within two days. The recovery was night and day compared to uh, when I had the C-section. And I'd say after two weeks, I was I was running again. Oh, I love it. Ba so, and when do we introduce a baby stroller now? Or were you doing that I was, with your son or no? No. no. I, it, my husband would come home from work. Obviously, I was on maternity leave. Mm -hmm. uh, he would come home from work and I would just go out for a little run just to give yeah. myself some some time. Mental, and, mental space. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, moms that are out there, dads that are out there, it's, it's yeah. hard those first couple of weeks and months. And oh, I yeah. just needed me time. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that's a great a great thing to talk about. Um, when my uh, my ex was an amazing runner, two fifty three marathoner, and we met through running. You know, I'd come home from a long day in the city. We lived in Sparta, and back then the commute it was almost two hours. I'd yeah. take the train. The yeah. train was only about an hour and twenty minutes, but it, there were local stops, and it didn't have the express back then. And I'd come home, and I could just see, I could just see that although 
everything was great and she was excited. Her family was in Bayonne, we were in Sparta and there's a lot of distance and she didn't really have a connection with a lot of our neighbors yet. And that can be really tough if you yeah. can get that connection and you're out there walking the babies and you get that little bit of time out of your own home, it, it kind of helps relieve and, you know, take some of that stress away and, and bring, brings you out of it. So it was literally the first thing that I would do would just take Ronnie, you know, take my son, yep. whatever, whatever we did, go upstairs, go in the rocking chair. You know, I put him in the stroller, go for a walk around the neighborhood, whatever, just because I couldn't agree more with you. You need that, you need that break. Yeah. And you know, the it, jogging stroller <laughs> for us, I mean, Ronnie was like two years old and I was doing like 12 mile loops in Central Park with wow. him and just crushing it. Good for in you. The park. So it's funny. Cause I, I now have a, a couple of friends, um, you know, who, you know, you know, push, uh, push their sons around in races. Um, and I, I just think it's wonderful. Um, I grew up with, uh, Dick Hoyt he used to do the Boston marathon yeah. every year. And I, if I'm not mistaken, he may have even run some sub threes with his son, you know, in the chair. Yep. And that's, that's just pretty, pretty remarkable stuff. Yeah. I think anyone that gets out there, um, with a stroller is impressive. And I'll be honest, I, I got the bob and I had all intentions of running with my daughter or, you know, throwing my son in there. But for me, running became very much my time. Um, and I had at this point met a lot of women in my community that were also moms that I, you know, made friendships with and, um, it became my social time. So, I can't say that I ever went running with either of my children in the stroller, even though I have one. Yeah. <laughs> um, it just, running for me was, it was just me. Well, you, in your case, that was your break. Yeah. I mean, when I say it, when I say break, I'm using my hands. You can't see that, but yeah. it's a, it is, it's a physical break. Yeah. You know, you're literally, your son or your daughter is on the couch or in the crib or in the stroller or playing with someone else. You're right. Chris's home watching or maybe your mom or dad or there, whomever. Right. Um, but there's, there's that physical break yeah. versus, you know, actually having them with you yeah. to be a part of it. Um, but it's not for everybody, but oh God, those were, I just remember him, my son laughing out loud, like his feet flopping up yeah. and down. And just, I, I can just remember the joy of it. And yep. uh, a lot of times, you know, then he would like fall asleep and it wasn't as much fun for me because, <laughs> you know, we go up and down those huge hills in the park. I mean, I just, I keeps having the time of his life, you know, and now, you know, he's 22 years old and he's a runner himself. And it's just amazing how quickly that those years can actually just fly, can yeah. fly by. Yeah. It's remarkable. When Certainly you, when you a lot of people, uh, a lot of people I know get a lot of joy of having their kids in the stroller. Yeah. So now baby two's here. Yep. You know, that was 2014. You do your 5K. Take us back to how you get reintroduced after baby two is yeah. in your life and you kind of finally get your form back and get into a flow. So I ran that 5K in 2014. My daughter, so in June, I find out I'm pregnant. I have Chloe in February 2015, start running, you know, a couple of weeks after I give birth, just slowly easing into things. And, you know, just it's not for everyone getting out there as soon as I did. Um, but for me, I needed it. And, uh, you know, like I had said, I after I crossed that finish line in 2014, I, I had goals of wanting to run the New York City Marathon. So when I had my daughter, I signed up for uh, my first half marathon. Yes. I was like, I need a goal. I need yeah. something to get me focused on, um, you know, getting back in shape and getting out there. So I signed up for the Newport Liberty half marathon in Jersey City, uh, which was that September. Um, so I ran that. I was about seven months postpartum. 
uh, I think I ran a 148 or something, half. <laughs> really good. I just used like the Hal Higdon program. And that was your, and that was your first half? Yeah. That was really good. Thank you. Holy I crap. had no idea what I was doing though. And um, I- Ignorance is bliss, baby. Yes. I, I finished that race and I felt terrible, <laughs> terrible. Um, but I knew I could do better. Terrible how? Like be, be physically. Be more specific. Physically. Like true fashion of most people, most inexperienced runners and a lot of runners in general really went out too fast. Yeah. You know, dying for the finish line. Yeah. And anyone that's run that race knows that it's typically pretty humid oh, in September on, along been, the waterfront I've in been, Jersey City. I've been baked on that course more times than I care yeah. to remember. So I was like, I know I can do better. I turned around and I signed up for another half marathon that was like four weeks later. And uh, I went out and of course it was like complete opposite weather. It was freezing. It was maybe 30 degrees out. It was a Halloween half marathon in Morristown. Okay. Pretty hilly course. And I went out and I ran a 139.59. So you go 148 <laughs> to sub 140, 139.59. Damn, you're- In four weeks, that's so. Like, that's, that's, ama that's amazing stuff. Um, let's, let's take a little pause there for one second. This is, there's a ton of people out there that are still really just learning about racing and mm -hmm. they're, they're learning how to train and Hal Higdon's program is great. There's some, that's the beauty of it. There's a million free training programs yeah. that are out there today that you can get from runner's world and nine, nine different places that you can find. Okay. Let me, let me just follow this this way. What I'm amazed at is, and so many people do exactly what you did, including me and other runners. We read a plan, we follow a plan. I need to run this many miles. I need to do this kind of long run. And then we get out there into the race and like we turn our brains off and go, oh, I know, I'll just take off and run. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> right. Like, why would anybody think this is a good idea? But yet, how many of us do exactly that? And better yet, in their first marathon, now we're gonna try to run 26 miles and we're gonna take off over the Verrazano Bridge and we're just gonna take off like a bat out of hell. And it's like, I've got 24 miles to go and I'm yeah. cooked. Yeah. What am I doing? So I think anybody listening, this is the PSA. We're going to pay attention. We're going to follow the training program and we're going to build a race plan. Yes. We're going to figure out what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to start slower and we're going to finish faster. That's what we're shooting for. Yeah. Right? I, I certainly didn't know, you know, when I was doing that second half marathon, I just knew that I'd need to be a little bit more conservative in the beginning. Um, but at that point, I was setting myself up to do the nine plus one program with the New York Roadrunners. Um, so for anyone that's not familiar, you can run nine of the New York Roadrunner races and then do one volunteer spot. So the beauty of living across the river from yeah. New York City um, is that it's easy to pop in there on the weekends and, and do those runs. So, uh, you know, I had said that I wanted to run the New York City Marathon one day. So um, in 2016, I started the, the nine plus one program with a bunch of women that I knew from Union County, uh, Moms Run This Town group uh, that I had joined. And we were going in, you know, every other weekend running the races. Or give them a shout out. <laughs> Who, who's in your who's in your crew? Are they still in your crew today? Yes. Yeah. So, so I met some of my best friends um, in in the area where I live from the Moms Run This Town group. Um, that God, there's so many to name, but one of my my BRFs, my best running friends, is uh, my friend Ashley, uh, who runs with me most mornings. Uh, we do most of our easy runs during the week together. I, I met Ashley at the Westfield 5K, I think, or after. I met her somewhere along the way. Yeah. Yeah. The one, the one we ran in Tamakas Park, yep, right? Yep. Yeah. The Hangover 5K. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we had some, we got some fun run selfies that day. Yeah. Yes. 
Okay, so she's one of your crew. Who yep. else? So um, my friend Eileen. Uh, Eileen, who I met yep. in Berlin. Yep, okay, you met Eileen, my friend Naomi. Naomi, I've met, yes. Yep. Um, so yeah, those are probably my three closest friends. God, I'm probably missing so many people. I just can't think of off the top of my head, but three of the women I run with the most. It happens. Yeah. You know, sometimes we, we draw a blank, but yeah. it's, it's nice. And I think the message there. Uh, you don't need to be pregnant. You don't need to be a mom. You can be anybody. You can be a guy. You can be a gal. You can be an older gentleman, older woman. Find a group. It's really, yeah. there's power in a group. And I think the power that people miss out on is the accountability piece, mm -hmm. which is which is all Goggins all the time, the accountability mirror. You're facing off against yourself. When Allie wanted to, she wasn't happy with how she looked and she didn't feel good about smoking and being in her wedding dress, she realized some of those feelings, but she hadn't taken the steps yet to like kind of make those changes that she wanted to make in her life. And now she's like taken over and made these kind of changes. With running, it can be really easy to say, I'll do it tomorrow. I had a really long day, I'm beat. Yeah. I feel like shit, I'm not going for a run. I'm tired, I need something to eat, I'm cranky. The funny thing about it is, on the days when I feel exactly like that, the days when I feel the absolute worst, when I've gotten my ass kicked by clients or I'm just physically exhausted and I didn't sleep well the night before, on those nights when I dragged myself out the door on a cold, rainy night, a miserable night, somewhere out there on that run, two miles in, three miles in, four miles in, I will get this feeling of just like, wow, thank you for pushing through the bullshit Thank you for pushing through all of that stuff and just saying, I'm better than this. I'm stronger than this because it's those moments on those kinds of runs when you overcome that kind of mental stuff or physical stuff or I don't know, whatever. Your boss just gave you a ration of shit. A client was really hard on you. You had an argument with your husband. Your kid said something that really hurt your feelings. Yeah. Whatever the hell it is, the power of it is and you get out there, you take control, you get back into that space, you're out there on the run and somewhere out there, we re-regulate, we reset, we recheck. And when you come back in that door, you never feel stronger, you never feel more powerful and your meal's gonna taste better. You know, you're gonna hug your husband, you're gonna hug your kids and everything else is gonna be reset. It's yeah. gonna be back to where it needs to be. But, you know, going back to the group element, those people will depend on you. They're gonna depend on Allie to be there at five in the morning. I see your posts, I see your Instagram stories when it's dark out and you're going out. <laughs> and like my friend Kelly's running at 4.30 in the morning down in Florida and I running with her headlamp. Like that stuff's inspiring as hell to me. I've never been one of these run before dark mm -hmm. kind of people. I'll do it when I'm, if you tell me you need me to run with you in Central Park and you need a 20 mile, I'm there, I'm there. Come to Summit, I'm there. But to drag myself out first thing always, yeah, sometimes when I'm traveling, I will, because I just know that there's not gonna be another opportunity. But when you're in the group and that group is waiting for you, yeah, you know you have to come. You can't, yep. there's no, there's, there's not gonna be an excuse that's gonna cut it with the other moms in your group, your Central Park Track Club running teammates, or anything, just whatever the hell, we do a podcast social run, like, hey, let's get together, we're doing a shakeout in Central Park. Guess what? No excuse holds water. We're not gonna buy it. Yeah, You didn't show up. Allie didn't show up. All right, I'm not gonna run with her anymore. So. Get your group, find your people. There's running, I don't care, Sneaker Factory in Milburn, you name a running store anywhere, Jack Rabbit on the Upper West Side. There's no running shoe store in town anywhere in the United States or any other country for that matter that isn't doing some kind of organized group runs. Right. Find a group, sign up, show up, 
buy a pair of shoes, get back in the game. And there's people out there of all abilities and all paces running in these groups. I think people get in the mindset, oh, oh, I can't run with, you know, this track club because they're all super fast. Well, not everyone is super fast. And there's people, parts of all clubs that are all different abilities. So it's just put yourself out there and take that risk for yourself. I mean, that's that is great advice, because um, as you know, when you're in uh, Facebook running groups that we have, I think one of the biggest things you come across is, oh, I'm I don't really feel like posting about my runs because I'm slow or, you know, I can't run as fast as all of you. And you know, your worth is not tied in life to the pace that you can run. And right. if you are tying your worth to what your PRs are or anything else, you, you're really skewing your view of life. That's that's not really what it's about. Running makes me a more complete, a more happy person, but I'm never going to run the PRs I ran at 35 and 36 years old. It's simply not possible. I'm not going to run 240 in a marathon. I'm not going to run a 114 half marathon again, but look at my pictures. Do I not look like I'm having the time of my life out there? I am. You certainly do, Ron. <laughs> and I am, but I am having the time of yeah. my life out there. You can't fake it. But also there's plenty of pictures of me out there deep in the pain cave, deep hurting. You know, I love that shot of Berlin, man, where I'm coming in there and it's pouring rain and you just look like, you know, you're just like, hang, you're fighting and grinding. And that's right past the Brandenburg Gate. You were there with me. You yeah. know how close I was to the finish there. But if anybody else looked at that photograph, they don't know. I might have been 20 miles from the finish at that point. I might have been yeah. 18 miles, but we know. We know when you get into that moment out there, you know, what's, what's going on. So let's use that as a point. We can't cover your whole running history. Right. <laughs> um, we've, we've done a really nice job of setting up how you got back in and where you were running, you know, t you know 26 minute 5K time. You know, you want to run New York City. Let's, let's go to your first New York City before we go to Berlin. Because I, I want to yeah. get in detail on your Berlin race. Because that's where yep. the magic has most recently happened. And I want to talk about your training. And you work with James McCurdy, your yep. coach. Well, we, I want to make sure that we cover that. You sure. Know, before we before we roll out of here, but let, let's go to New York as your first first marathon. So you do the nine plus one. I did the nine plus one. While I was doing that, I was like, well, I better run a marathon before I run the New York City marathon. So I ran New Jersey in 2016, um, and I ran uh, 329. 329 entry in the marathon. Yeah. So I your your PR in the half was 140. Yeah. Okay. 140 and 140 is 320 for anybody who's following at home, right? 140 and 140, right? Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. So 320, 140 and 140 is 320. And you ran what? 329. 329. That's completely crazy. Yeah. I mean, a, a standard rule of thumb that any marathon coach will tell you is you take your best half marathon time and double it and add 10 minutes. I mean, you basically, you did that and it's, you just like rolled into your first marathon. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Almost nobody does that. And it was raining that day. But. Well, we, we, have, we seem to have a little bit of a history with bad weather, the yeah. two of us. So yeah. you don't want to run races that Allie and I are in. It's probably not going to work out no, well for probably. you. You probably want to pick races we're not in. Right? <laughs> if you're looking for that good weather day, don't sign up with us. Exactly. So I, I qualified for Boston. Um, at the time, it was a 340 for my age group. So I had a nice little buffer. Um, so I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to do Boston in 2017. So I signed up for another marathon thinking, okay, I can't go into Boston running only one marathon. I'm going to look like such a newbie amongst all these Boston marathoners. I just had this conception of what people who run Boston are like. So I ran Philadelphia that fall in 2016. 
I cut a couple minutes off my my PR in New Jersey. I ran three twenty six. Um, so three twenty nine in your first. Yeah. Three twenty six in Philly. Do you have a coach at this point or no? You're no. still you're still doing like Hal Higdon type stuff. I found just... a, a training plan on like Runners Connect. I don't even know if that exists anymore. But okay. it was a pretty good plan. I actually share it with a, a bunch of people um, out there. But um, so I, I go run Boston 2017. It was a hot, gross year. Still happens to be my worst marathon ever. Um, so that's a whole nother I conversation. Ran, I ran 2017. <laughs> Let me just say, I, I like to use the words anything with as fuck. It yeah. was hot as fuck. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. People were melting out there. Yes. It Literally looked like a battlefield. Uh, that perfect description. Yeah. 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 And the only, it's funny because you say a battlefield, but 2017 and 2018 were the opposite ends yes. of the spectrum, but yes. it was the, it was the same carnage yep. out there. Yep. It was like war torn battlefields because yeah, there were. There were people literally on the sides of the road. And, yeah. You know, they were done. Yep. They were done before the Newton Hills. Yeah, which, it was terrible. This is Boston. This doesn't happen. These are the best runners in the world. And, you know, there are, there are people that have trained their entire year to, to, to have the magic come together. Yep. And, you know, I never forget we turned, you know, for, for the hills in 2017. And people were already walking on the yep. first the chain of hills where you turn by the firehouse. I'm like, this is the Boston Marathon. People are walking in the first set of hills. And that's, that's how bad it was. It was bad. Yeah. Um, really rough. So then I finally so your got fir- my- your first bad experience. What did you run? Because it's important. I ran 339. Yeah, that's awful, by the way. Wow, <laughs> you ran 339. So you went you went 329, 326, 339. But yep. you're still you're still really very close together in your groupings. And, yep. and yes, that's not up to what you're building towards, but it's still on that day is a really solid performance. Yeah. It really is. I mean, you should know. Do you, do you know that now? Do you feel I know that, that way now. about it now? I know that now. You didn't then. I didn't. And it okay. took me a good couple of months to get over that race. Okay. Um, so fortunately, I had New York City that fall mm-hmm. to look forward to. The race that really was what got me into marathon in the first place was that New York City marathon I ran in 2017. So and that was, I ran 321 that day so there it is so that was and and new york for anybody who hasn't run new york yet if you haven't let's this is your year to run it it's going to be the 50th anniversary so figure out how to get into that race there's a way sign up for team for kids which is new york roadrunners charity which ali's run for um i don't care find a way into that race if you want in if you want something bad enough you will find a way to get in trust me if you don't know how to get in Email me. I'll figure out a way. I will give you five ways to get in that race because there is no race in the world that could come close to New York City. Not Boston, not London, not Berlin, not Chicago, not Paris. You can even marathon anywhere in the world. Unless you're running in the Olympics marathon, no experience will touch New York. And it's the 50th anniversary race. So I can't even imagine this year there were like skydivers, military skydivers. This is the first time they're, they're like, you know, flying, you know, literally sky flying, skydiving, you know, down towards the bridge and they're making these maneuvers and the helicopters are buzzing the bridge. They're zooming by and they're giving us the, the thumbs up and the peace sign. I mean, I get chills. I get chills. And I try to explain to people what New York is like. New York is just, it's crazy. There's nothing like it. It's crazy on a level that's not possibly describable. You can call it the five borough block party. You can come up with all this stuff. Nothing. There's no amount that you can, there's no way to proper put it into description 
that captures just what that day and experience is like for someone. And all the way through, yep. like people complain and they bitch about how long it takes to get to the village. You know what? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's part of the experience. Yeah. So one day in your life, you're going to have to get up at 4.30. Suck it up. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's part worth, of your experience. It's right? worth every second yeah. for those 26.2 miles. Yeah. I mean, to me, from the moment you set foot in that village, it is like a day, and the only thing similar to it is Boston, because although the other big races have that incredible energy, London has amazing energy and the crowds are phenomenal. And, and so does Tokyo and Berlin. They're, they're spectacular mm -hmm. events. I mean, you've, you just ran Berlin, but New York is different. You get into that village and it's just something about it. And you get onto that bridge and you hear the national anthem being played and you, and you just have these feelings Chills. wash over you yes. that are just, my knees are shaking. I'm going to run my 10th New York City this year. And there's no race that can bring that level of emotion to me. On that bridge, I've cried more than once. Last year when Peter Chacha, for his last race, I cried just hearing his voice crack. And I could feel the emotion coming through that microphone and how much... Peter meant to all of us. Yep. I mean, we love that guy. And sadly, we just did a big event for him for Central Park Track Club. He was supposed to be on my show last week. And he got really bad head cold and terrible laryngitis. And he had to speak at his event. We right. did a huge event to honor his contributions to the running community, which are so vast and deep. And, you know, Tatiana McFadden spoke on his behalf. And it was wonderful. They had a great panel. It was Mary Wittenberg and George Hirsch yeah. and Jim Hine, the new race director. And, you know, they all just talked about things that Peter had done to impact them along their journeys and the roles that they had and but leading up to his speech. But his voice was so bad and it was cracking horribly. And it was like, Ron, I, I can't go on a podcast with no voice. But yeah. his voice cracked that same way on the bridge. I mean, yeah. literally, I, I don't know anybody that isn't a robot or an android that didn't have that feeling. I just remember feeling like, man, I want to give him a hug. Like, well, this is, this is it. This is his last race. And I got to be part of that. You know, I got to cross that line at his last race. And he was at the moment, you know, had the microphone in hand, you know, he wasn't able to come over and give me a hug or anything, which he has in other races. But yeah, if you have an opportunity, figure out an opportunity, create an opportunity, get to the line November 1st, 2020 for the 50th anniversary yep. of New York City. You're going to be there. <sighs> I don't know yet. <laughs> you don't know yet? That's okay. Yeah, still figuring things out for next year. Yeah. But you, you, you have plenty of time yeah. to figure it out. Absolutely. And your schedule is important. Yep. You got a lot to balance. And you know, this is a good, good point to talk about scheduling and goals and all that. As much as you could hear the excitement in both of our voices about New York and what it means to both of us, I think it's an important lesson. Allie decided not to run Boston last year. I am not capable of unplugging myself from Boston. <laughs> um, you know, people say FOMO is real. It is real. Yep. You have to make your schedule. It can't be Allie's schedule, Ron's schedule, or anybody else's schedule. You can't worry about if all your friends are going to go run Chicago. That means you need to run it. You've got to figure out what it is you're after. Are you trying to run in the World Age Group Championships like me this year that I qualified for in London for the first time? Yeah. What, what would serve me best, and I've been coached by some amazing people, by Greg McMillan, um, you know, Brendan O'Leary is a good friend of mine, has coached me. I've had some wonderful coaches in my life who are just, you know, really amazing people. And, and James, we'll, we'll talk about your relationship with him mm -hmm. and, and his stable of athletes and, and how that has changed things for you and the impact it can have on your running. But you need to sit down either yourself and grab control of that 
or you need somebody else to take that direction for you and give you the advice and then you have to follow it. So that this is the time of the year to be doing just that. It's the end of the year. You need to be looking at your 2020 year right now and just figure out what's important to me. Yeah. And by the way, I've said this in the last couple of podcasts and I'm gonna keep saying it. Just because I get on a plane and fly marathon, run marathons all over the world and I'm living the dream right now. My son's graduating college. I can do this now. I have a lot more free time. I have the means to do it. It's not for everybody. If you don't love the marathon, don't run the marathon. Run 10Ks, run 5Ks, run cross country, run track. Um, You know, don't, I don't do triathlons. What? Just find something that motivates you to get out the door and exercise and be healthy. To quit smoking, like Allie did, or maybe stop drinking if that's having a bad impact on your life. Yep. Whatever it is, if you start to exercise, the world becomes a easier place to navigate. For sure. And on the scheduling front, now on your scheduling, do you let James do it? Do you do it? Like, how do you work? And, and Allie's coached by James McCurdy, who's a really well-known coach in the Instagram world, in the Strava running world and uh, community. Yep. They've got a great group of coaches who coach a lot of runners out there, and they're doing terrific things. But he's, he's your coach, right? Yeah. So I've been working with James uh, just about two years now. Um, so I started working with him before Boston 2018. Um, so I ran Boston 2018, and then I ran Chicago that same year. And I was all ready to start signing up for Boston, uh, I guess, 2019. Yeah, right? yeah. So this past year. Exactly. And uh, James reached out to me and said, uh, I, I think we should talk about this. And said, you know, you've, you've been doing marathon cycle after marathon cycle after marathon cycle. He said, eventually the body isn't going to keep improving because you're putting yourself through the same type of training. And he said, why don't you think about taking a step back from the marathon for a season, focus on doing a fast 10K, doing a fast half marathon, um, and then maybe we'll do an early spring or early fall marathon instead. So as hard as it was because of that FOMO, the fear of missing out, I didn't want to not do Boston 2019, but I trusted what James was saying. And I said, okay, you know what? I think, I think that's the right decision. Um, let me try some different types of training. I'll find a goal, uh, half marathon for the spring and I'll find an early fall marathon. So once you put something, an idea in my head, I'm like, I'm all in. Yeah. So I'm early fall marathons. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking this was right after Kipchoge had set the world record in Berlin. And yeah. I said, that's it. I'm running Berlin next year. I said, I don't care what I have to do. I'm getting in. And that's the end of it. So I said to my husband, we're going to Berlin in 2019. Going to Berlin, Chris. (laughs) Um, And I put together the whole plan in my head of, because I knew he was going to think it was a crazy idea. So I I looked at flights. I looked at hotels. I figured out how much it was going to cost, how much we usually spend when we go to Boston. And I talked to my mother, my in-laws, my best friends, everyone that could possibly help so we didn't have to take the kids with us. And I presented the idea to him and he was like, Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I did that. I did just that. Um, I did a spring marathon. I had a, it, it, it wasn't a good spring for me. I was traveling a lot for work. I was sick a bunch of times. So I didn't end up having, you know, the goal half marathon that I wanted, but that's okay. Cause the training was there. Um, and it was all the stuff that got me set up to run a, a big PR in Berlin. Yeah. Can I, can we just take a pause there for one sec? 
because I think this is such an important piece of Ali's journey and anybody out there who's running. When we're in a training cycle and things are going right for us and we're building towards what we feel is going to be a PR or a good day is going to come and then the weather throws us a curveball like Boston where we have the monsoon and the perfect storm or any other day when it's London, when it, that following up the monsoon, I went across the pond six days later and it was 85 degrees and, and sadly a runner passed away who was in his 20s, who was a sub three marathoner. So we don't know what's in store for us. So we can train and we can do all this great work and we can pay attention to our diet and we can build and taper, but so much of it is really out of our control. Yep. I think one amazing thing that could just blow right past as we're talking is you didn't have your A race and a half in your buildup. And people put so much on a buildup. Like, are they gonna run a fast 10K, 10, you know, 10 days out, 14 days out, 21 days out. The elites do, do, do this as well as they're building for the yep. Olympics. We want all this stuff to come together because psychologically it lets us know, okay, I'm ready, I'm ready. But you didn't have that day. No. You didn't run the time you wanted. You didn't have that day. What did you run in the half and, and talk about why? Um, so I ran New York City half um, for my first goal half in 2019. And I think I ran like 131.25 or something. Um, my PR was one in the half right now is 129.08 which I ran as part of my Chicago buildup. So I figured, oh, I'm specifically training for a half. I'm going to be tapered for this. Like, yeah. surely I'm going to walk away with a PR. Yeah. Um, you know, New York is typically very cold, um, which I, I prefer the cold weather, but it just wasn't my day. I yeah. knew from the get-go, and it's fine. I still ran a course PR that day, um, and I still had the New Jersey half. That was my second half uh, goal race for the spring. Um, that day, actually the day before I was down in Asbury picking up my bib with my friend Ashley and my throat was really scratchy. I'd had a huge allergy attack, um, that week from just seasonal allergies. So I thought, uh, you know, it's probably just my allergies. I woke up Sunday morning driving down on the race. My throat's hurting me. I go out there. I ran, I, th I think one thirty and change again, thinking I was going to run this PR you know, city. Yeah. It's coming. Yeah. I'm ready. New Jersey was, you know flat course. And, um, anyways, I, it, I, it just wasn't my day. I didn't it, feel good. It didn't happen. No. So I get home. Um, I couldn't warm up a couple hours later. I'm running 103 fever. Turns out I had strep throat that day. <laughs> so that's why I didn't run so good. But I'm like, Hey, if I could run a 130 and change on with strep throat, like clearly there's something still more in me, but sometimes, you know, going into another training cycle without having that validation of that time, it's, it's hard to see, you know? So when I saw these training pieces for Berlin, I was like thinking to myself, James must think I'm crazy or he's crazy <laughs> or something. But I was like, all right, let's just give it a go. You know? Um, so obviously it worked out. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I think that's that's why I wanted to, you know, dive a little bit deeper in there. Because what we generally do when we're building through a cycle is we hit these mini milestones along the way. So yeah, you're thinking I'm going to chop off my half marathon PR here because I'm fitter and I'm stronger. And there's a, there's a bunch of lessons to kind of unpack there. So James gave her some really sage advice people can get onto the marathon train and then they just simply never get off at any point. Yeah. They're going to run three a year. They're going to run two a year, four a year. And the, the idea of running three a year was crazy when I was in my mid thirties. People thought that was nuts. I, I just ran six. Now no, you're doing six. No, <laughs> no, seven. I'm doing CIM with Kaiser, um, 
she asked if I could, you know, come out right. there and give her a hand. And, and Kaz is a dear friend. And uh, her and Chris did so much for me um, with my podcast graphics and helped me get my website started and just wonderful people dear to my heart. And uh, she lost her dad recently. And, um, you know, I just think it's an emotional time for her. And she wants yeah. to go out there and ball out. And she wants to run a BQ. And, and she asked me. So she's my so friend. Se so seven for you so this year. Seven. <laughs> seven and 150 miler yeah. in between. But it's so it's not a year for me to be tackling, let's say, a master's PR. Right. It's not. But I'm getting so much out of it. It's so fulfilling for me. So PRs aren't always going to be there. In your case, it would seem that it's going to come. James has counseled you to, you know, take off, take a little bit of a step back on some of the marathoning and you're building and you're really building towards Berlin now and the halves don't deliver the result you want. And that's what I really want to make sure people are paying attention to. We expect, we think this is going to happen. We look at things and, and kind of anticipate this linear growth. That's not the way right. running works. It never works like that. In fact, most of our lives don't work like that. Our business careers don't work like that how much money we are. None of those things really follow any straight line path. There's many curves. It's like an oscilloscope, right? There's the ups yeah. and downs. It's like a roller coaster. Like, whoa, I didn't see this coming. Well, guess what? Sometimes it just takes time for our bodies to absorb, you know, the mileage, the buildup, the strengths, the cycles of running, changes in life, you know, new job, new career, whatever it might be, running with some different people, new workouts, James, is thrown your way that maybe you don't really think are that important or impactful, but slowly but surely they're making you a stronger runner right. and you haven't really had a chance to apply that yet. So you, you run a marathon, you're having an allergy attack and you have strep throat. Well, you're not going to run. You're not going to run it that day. I ran New York City last year. It was cold as hell. The course is tough. Yep. The course is way harder than it used to be. Trust me, I know. Yep. It, and two years in a row, they've changed it now. Yes. It was a minor change the second year over the first year change, but still, both of those courses are much harder than the original New York City half, Agreed. which I've been running for a really long time. Agreed. So I can just echo that. And so coming in, you don't have that normal security plank and feeling like I'm ready to ball out in Berlin. I'm so ready to crush this thing. And yet you show up. Was there any other like key workouts maybe that you hit? The halves didn't come through. Was there any key workouts that you nailed or some unique workout that James had given you in this cycle before you came over to Berlin to run your race? Uh, we had... So the, the long runs were a lot different this time leading up to the race than in the previous marathons I had done working under James. Um, there was a lot more progression mileage at the end of the long run. So like, for instance, it'd be, you know, a warm up five miles at marathon pace, two miles recovery, and then four miles progression starting at marathon, working down, you know, to like threshold pace. So those were like some pretty big confidence boosters. I remember running a 22 miler or it was like 21 and a half miles or something like that and dropping like a sub 630 mile at like mile 19 and being like, whoa. And this is obviously training in the summer. It's hot and humid as fuck. And, yes. um, <laughs> you know, I was like, holy cow, I can't believe I just did that. So th those were some really big confidence boosters. I think one of my biggest struggles with the marathon was feeling strong at the finish. I think for a lot of people it is, um, you know, and I, I just didn't want to die at the end and feel like I was, you know, crawling to the finish line. So those workouts were, were certainly confidence boosters leading into Berlin. I think those are, those are super critical. Um, you know, back when I was in my thirties and late thirties, when I ran most of my faster times, like the low two forties, two forty, 
I learned that the Kenyans and the elite runners were running a ton of miles at marathon pace. Mm -hmm. And my friends were looking at me going, dude, you're nuts. You're losing your mind. I'm like, <laughs> no, this is what they're doing. So now I can't run 210 or 208, but the same principles apply to them, apply to me, apply to you or anyone else. Yeah. Running is running. Don't overcomplicate it. It's science. Marathon pace is X percentage of our VO2 max. It's nowhere near an all-out effort as we know. It's aerobic. I've talked at running six-minute pace in a marathon, and I can talk at running seven-flat pace. Yep. That's what aerobic running is. But if you're not going to practice those paces, most importantly, deep into a long run, you're going to find out, guess what? This is foreign to me. My yeah. body's not used to this. I don't understand. How can I run 650 pace in the 23rd mile of a race if I've never practiced it before? So basically, James was setting you up to do and something specifically that you really hadn't been concentrating on up until that point. Right. Running really fast miles at maybe marathon pace and faster. 630 is more half marathon yeah. pace for you or around half marathon pace. So he was showing you that you could do it. You were proving that you could do it to yourself. So little the brain starts to take note of yes. these things, even when we're not actually saying it out loud, like, wow. And I'm sure somewhere along the way, you, you did go, wow, holy fuck, I ran that fast in the 21st mile. Yeah, yeah. it is eye-opening. And you're like, my eyes just opened. That's, that's why it is eye-opening. It's like, wow, I didn't realize that I could actually do that. This is why having a good coach is really important. Absolutely. Uh, and to write a program like that or workouts like that, there's, there's a real skill to it. And as you go through a training cycle, we have peaks and valleys. We're feeling strong. We're feeling stress from work. It's, again, it's not linear. We're not in this place where we just build and we're ready to go and we're ready to be Kipchoge and go sub two. It, life doesn't work that way. We want to work that way, but right. sometimes we roll into the race and we get strep throat. Sometimes we have an allergy attack, just like you did. Sometimes we don't sleep for three days from traveling over there last minute and we just bomb a race. All of these things can happen, but sometimes the magic unfolds. Yes. So you get to Berlin, you've done this amazing planning, you raised a lot of money for Team for Kids, which is awesome, by the way. <laughs> amazing charity, great stuff. Proud of you for that. Thank you. Did an awesome event over at uh, Jack Rabbit in Summit. Yep. You had Roberta come and speak. We all love Roberta Groner, who doesn't? You put that together, I'm proud of you. You did a phenomenal job planning that event. Your friend Ashley helped you with that, right? Yep. I mean, it's, for anybody out there, I hear people say all the time, oh, I can't raise any money for charity. I'm not any good at that. I can't do this. You know what? It's like everything else. Sure you can. Put some effort into it. Allie put this event together. She got Roberta Groner to come and speak, who is just absolutely amazing. Just taking the running world by storm as a master's runner. Mom of three. Goes to Doha. Comes six in the world. Comes back, what, six weeks later in New York and just crushes. What did she run? 227? Uh, 220. I uh, know. I think she ran 230 and change, but it was, oh, I think it was a I'm New sorry. York. Yes, yeah, she I did. She ran, she ran that 227 or 228 in Amsterdam. That was yeah. like the year before. Yeah, she did. She ran, she ran amazing. But the point is you put together a cool event, a cool agenda. You had Excel, um, New Jersey PT, PT team. You had Ultra, the sneaker company, and you put some effort into lining these people up. So people would want to come in here, not only what Roberta had to say, but you know, there was some 50-50, some raffles, you know, different things going on. And you raised a lot of money for your charity yeah. and you got yourself over there. Yeah. And you helped out Team for Kids. Yeah. So you have a lot of good things going on there. But take us over there. You, you arrive in Berlin. Yeah. And you get over there for a couple of days. 
And I remember we're talking about the bottle strategy because I'm like, yeah, I got to tell Allie what to do. And she's like, oh, I'm not going to do this. It's too much work. I'm like, what are you talking about? Come on, you can pull this off. Like, even if you get one or two bottles on the table, it could be the difference. You got to do it. She's like, I'm not going to do it. Then she texts me and she shows me, she buys this amazing like emoji wrapping paper in the <laughs> store. And I'm like, great. I've been planning this for like six months and she just like kicked my ass. It's this like really cool emoji wrapping paper. She wraps it all up, puts it on like regular water bottles because you were just going water bottles and Morton gels, right? Yep. If I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah. Because fueling for anybody who's listening, your fueling is like the single biggest thing that people just don't take seriously enough. And when I say they don't take seriously enough, they just, they're looking at what their friend does, right? That's, that's the way we do things in life. That's the wrong way to do it. You need to figure out what kind of fueling your body can handle. I have celiac, so I have to be way more attention to what I can put in my body from solids, liquids. Yeah. My stomach is different. There's people out there that have Crohn's or they have IBS or they just don't handle solid foods well. Maybe they can't get a gel down. There's gummies. There's all sorts of things that you can put in your body that'll give you fuel, that are going to give right. you carbs that day. And if all else fails, like in Chicago, and you, you leave your gel belt <laughs> in your security bag that you check in, because you didn't want the, you know, when they do the wand on you and they're going through you like you're in the airport, I'm like, I don't want these things around me. So I left them in my bag. I ran the race with no gel. I drank Gatorade and water. And when I got to the 17 mile mic in Chicago, I took the only gel that I had. So yeah, you can get, it's just, it's carbohydrates, it's sugar. You got to get some fuel yep. in. So in your case, you were going to go Morton gels and water. Yes. And that was your fuel plan. Yeah. And that's how I had done all my training. So I don't take any Gatorade or anything in um, when I'm training. So in Berlin, for anyone that's not familiar, you had, they have um, refreshment tables for regular athletes, not yes. just the elites. So Ron and I had been going back and forth about the bottles. I ended up getting these uh, sport water bottles from the Aldi there, wrapping them in emoji wrapping paper. And I figured... You know what? They're just going to be water, but hey, if I can grab a water bottle and I can carry it with me for one or two Ks and make sure I'm really getting uh, the water into my system as opposed from using the plastic cups that they have in Berlin, which had me really nervous, then hey, it works. If I miss a bottle or two, no big deal. I can grab a cup off the table. So I figured any advantage I can give myself why not do it? But I just didn't want to spend $50 on Amazon, get all these bottles to Berlin and so when, when this kind of option presented itself in such an easy way to me, I was like, all right, let's, let's do it and let's try. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I only spent eight or 12 euros on it or something. <laughs> and how did it work? Uh, it went great. Um, you know, I, I was able to spot my bottle on all the tables. I missed one uh, right at the end. But at that point, the, cup, the cups changed on the, on the water tables to those reusable ones in, uh, at, that they had at Berlin. So it was, it was wonderful. That's, that's definitely recommend it to anyone that's going to go to Berlin in the future. It's, it's so awesome. And it's simple. It, you just need to drop off your bottles, whatever. I've seen people put flags on them. Uh, I took orange Sharpie markers on the light, small white Kipchoge bottles that he used. Yeah. I bought the same Morton bottles. They're really thin. They're much lighter. And I colored them with an orange Sharpie. Little did I know that that orange was going to come off on my hands <laughs> when I'm running. So I have no plan whatsoever. So Allie kicked my ass with her cool emoji wrapping paper, which was way better. So next year, I'll, I'll definitely have to outdo Allie and come up <laughs> with something way more fun. But the point is, she put the time in and the effort to planning her fuel strategy. And I think that's a big missing piece. When people go out there and they talk about, I'm doing my long run on Saturday, I'm doing my long run on Sunday, you need to put as much effort into what am I going to fuel in my long run? You don't just show up out there on race day 
and you know what I'm, what am I going to do? You need to practice it on your long runs. That's how yeah. you find out. Uh, is this gel okay? Can I get three or four of these down in a long run? Can I get two down? Maybe you get two or three down and then maybe you got to switch over to gummies in the, in the latter half. There's a lot of ways to just make sure you're getting enough. And even if you got a few gels down in the earlier part of the race and literally just drank Gatorade the rest of the way, you'll probably be okay too. The only way you're going to find that out though is to practice exactly. it. So exactly. So you work on it. So take me out your, your race plan with James. Yeah. Like, your race, tell me what your race plan was versus what actually happened and, and how it went down in your, in your 305 in Berlin. So it was pretty simple. The race was split into four 10Ks. Uh, the first 10K was supposed to be uh, about 720 pace. Um, so we never talked about a time goal. Let me just start that first. Um, we never said, hey, Allie, you're going to be going for, you know, 305 or three hours, whatever. Um, obviously, there were certain paces I was training at uh, in my training runs. Um, but I actually kind of liked that I didn't have a specific goal. For me, I went into Berlin saying, I just want to tackle the plan that James gives me. And I want to execute the race the best of my ability. And however that turns out is how that day should be whatever that time ends up being on the clock. So the first opening 10K was supposed to be about 7.20 pace and then just slowly working down to about 7, 7.05, 7.10 pace. And then the next 10K, a little bit faster than that. Um, and then the next 10K was supposed to be about 6.50 to 6.55. And then the fourth 10K, pretty aggressive, uh, about 6.40 to 6.45 and then the last two-ish miles, you know, everything I had left inside me. So the opening half, uh, the, I have to say, I executed the plan pretty beautifully in my eyes. Um, you know, I, I, I tried to not be a slave to my watch. Um, obviously, we're racing in Ks in Berlin. I kept my watch on miles. Um, so I kind of just relied off the GPS, which in cities, you don't really know if it's true. So I just adjusted according to my watch. If a split was a little bit too high or too fast, I, I adjusted. Um, and I said, I'm not going to worry about it. And there's plenty of time left in the race. So I came through the first half in about 133 and change. So I think it uh, should have been about 132 high. Uh, so I was maybe about 30 seconds off. But I was like, that's fine. You know, I'm not, I'm not you know, too worried about that. Um, but at that point I was like, all right, now I can really start working because it was a lot of patience to hold back that first half, but I felt great. I saw my husband about the halfway mark and I started crying when I saw him and, uh, the other guys he was with. Cause I was like, holy cow, I feel so good at 13 miles and this is going to be a great day. Of course, still a lot that can happen sure. <laughs> in a marathon, but I just couldn't believe how good I felt. So I go through the first half and I'm like, all right, now I can really start turning it on. And I started, you know, hitting my miles in, you know, 648, 650, 653, around there. Um, I get to the final 10K of the race plan. The rain's really starting to come yeah, down that's at this when, that's point. That's when the rain kicked in. Yeah. yeah. The wind is starting to get pretty bad. Um, I, at this point, I knew the city pretty well. So I knew kind of where I was in relation to the finish line. I knew where my husband was going to be again. Um, and I was working hard. Um, you know, I, I didn't hit the splits in the six forties like I wanted to, or the race plan called for, but I worked as hard as I could considering the conditions I was dealing with. I think, you know, I was running seven, seven, 10, maybe a seven fifteen split. Um, my, I think my mile 22 was like 
650 something. So Sweet. I'd come a long way yeah. um, to hit a, a mile so late uh, sub seven pace. Um, and then I saw the Brandenburg gate. And I was like, holy cow, today's going to be my day. This is my day. Finally, uh, seven marathons and something happened during all of them. And despite the not great conditions at the end, I'm going to have a day here. And I saw that finish line and I was just, as soon as I crossed Brandenburg Gate and I knew there was obviously still a couple hundred meters to go, I just, I was celebrating inside. And, you know, if you've seen any of my pictures, I was fist pumping, like yeah. really all the way to the finish line. Yeah. Um and I thought at this point I was going to be running about a 308, 307. I didn't know I was going to walk away with a 305 that day. So it was quite a surprise when I, you know, hit the watch and saw, holy cow, I just, I just ran a huge PR. That's, that's a beautiful story. I mean, and your energy and just how you feel. I mean, I can hear it in your voice. I can also see it in your face and what it feels like. And, and it, it's just something you want to bottle. You want to hold on to it and, Somewhere out there, we can't, you know, pace charts and things that we put on our arms or, you know, these numbers and these time goals. I, I think it's just really important. At some point, you got to just like let let it go out there. Mm -hmm. And letting it go in Berlin is way easier or Chicago where the courses are really flat. It's, it's very easy to get into a rhythm in Berlin or Chicago. Yeah. It's a lot harder to get into a rhythm in a place like New York Absolutely. where you have the bridges. And, you know, when you're in Brooklyn and parts, it's very flat to mildly rolling. And, you know, First Avenue is, you know, it's really flat. Um, but it's long and it's, yeah. it's concrete and it's still beating your body up. And you've just come off huge bridges that have, you know, just beat the crap out of you. Whereas Absolutely. like Berlin, you're just rolling through these sections and you're passing these beautiful churches. And yeah. the crowds are really mild and tame compared to any other major I've run. Doesn't mean they're not out there having fun or enjoying it, but they're just, they're not like what we're used to. Right. So you really have to fulfill and fuel your own, you know, kind of energy out there. But at some point, I think that can be good. You can just kind of get into your own mental space and go. But I think it's cool that you didn't realize until the Brandenburg Gate, yeah. like what a great day you were having. And I think it's important, like I think if you disconnect, like sometimes you almost have to shut your mind off. Like the only sport I can think of where you really do that is in swimming. When you're swimming a lot of laps in the pool, you mm -hmm. just kind of look down at that black line. And if you're swimming like a mile and you're doing some triathlon training, it's a lot of laps. It's 72 laps right. in a regular pool. Like at some point, I would just completely lose track. No matter what I would do, I'd just be gone. I couldn't pull myself <laughs> back I'd, because your brain just has this way, the water, the sound. You're, yeah. It's just different. The, the normal auditory stuff that's coming to us is kind of goes away. You're underwater, sound kind of gets dulled and you get lulled to sleep by the black line. You were out there running and you kind of disconnected. You weren't worried so much about your watch. You weren't worried so much about your pace or your plan. You knew he built a plan of progression where you were starting off slower and you're getting faster through each right. K, including right up to the end. So he believed you could do that. You had executed that in some of your longer runs, but until you actually do it, you don't really know that you can do it. Right. And it's pretty remarkable and powerful stuff when it comes together. And yeah, that last, I would say 10K was tougher. I wouldn't say that tough. I, I like running in the rain. So for me personally, I've just gotten used to it. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it was also windy too. And yeah. rain is fine, but when it's rain and wind and you know, running through puddles is it's fine, but all this stuff does slow us down. It's just a yeah. fact of life. I mean, our shoes are getting wet. We're navigating puddles. We're, we're not running that straight, direct tangent line that maybe we might want to run. So to have all that be in play for you and to just to ball out and run a 305 is, 
It's awesome. Yeah, I think the one thing that was so different in my mindset from all of my other races was the fact that I wasn't hung up on that time goal. You know, I remember going to Boston 2017 and being like, I need to run whatever my time plan was at that time. And, you know, being so disappointed because I didn't hit it. And I, I went into Berlin and I just wanted to run a well-executed race. And like I said before, if I could do that, it would all fall into place and my time would be reflected at the end, yeah. which it was. <laughs> it, it absolutely was. Yeah. Well, it's, that's really sound advice too, um, to think about when we tie ourselves only to it's this, it's the Olympic trials or it's nothing. It's sub three or it's nothing. It's, it, life isn't all or nothing. Um, yeah. it, it rarely ever is. And if it is, then, you know, that's, that's something maybe it's, probably doesn't compare to running anyway. It might be life or death. It might be cancer or war or something else that we really don't have any control over. Running, we have some control of what's going on. We don't have all the control, not by any stretch of the imagination. Right. But we have some control. We can prepare ourselves for the best we can to run in hot weather or cold weather or hilly courses or whatever. But at the end of the day, certain elements are out of our control. But if we can get our brains out of the way <laughs> or we can channel our brains to be like Kipchoge, because I think he's the master of mental training and yep. he's like Yoda in real life, but he's also this great human being, great runner. We have to get out of our own way. And I guarantee you that James has a lot of experience in that area as a great coach, because it isn't just about X's and O's and prescribing workouts. It's learning when Ali is worn down from work or travel, like maybe we need to push this workout and take it away. Right. Um, those are the kinds of adjustments you have when you have a good coach, somebody who understands what you're doing. And most importantly, what I share with runners, even if you have a great coach like James, is you're in charge of your own destiny. Not James, not Brendan, not Greg McMillan, not any coach that's out there. You're in charge. Ali's in charge. Ron's in charge. You got to be forceful. You got to speak up. For a coaching relationship to really manifest and build towards something great where that connection is there, you have to feel strong enough in your own shoes to be able to say, nope, I'm not ready for this one today. I'm not. Or yeah. I want to do this workout, but I just, I'm not ready for it mentally. Can we push this one out a week or 10 days? I'm just, I'm not ready to tackle this thing. I, I want to be ready for this thing. And, you know, that's the thing with runners. We want to look at the schedule and see of course. where the big workouts <laughs> are and what's coming. I know you're that way. I'm, I'll be like, okay, let me get to the end of my cycle. Let me see what's up here. Yeah. Sometimes it's just better to not know. You know, <laughs> ignorance is bliss, Exactly. Right? Exactly. So Berlin, you killed it. Amazing. Exciting. Thank you. So proud of you. Um, and I know you have way more to come. So sub three has got to be the goal. I mean, that's, that's the goal. But is it like out there a ways? Is it? Like the next race, like what, have you talked this stuff through with James yet or? Um, I, I think, you know, after 305, that's the next obvious goal is yeah. three hours, uh, breaking three hours. Um, you know, I like to say I can give it a shot in Boston, uh, 2020, but we'll see, we'll see how the training goes. And yeah. if it doesn't, if it doesn't happen in Boston, then we'll find the next race for it to happen at. I don't want to put a time limit on it. Good for um, you. you know, I feel like I'm, I'm really just getting started with, with my running as far as this level is concerned. Um, and I just want to enjoy the process and when it happens, it happens. And I know deep inside me that it will happen. That's a wonderful attitude. Um, and it will, yeah. and it, it's going to, Yeah. and you'll come back on and you'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk <laughs> I can't about, wait. <laughs> we'll talk about how it went down. We'll talk about the training and what you did differently. And we'll talk about how great it made you feel. But, um, I've enjoyed our conversation so much. So fun to have you on. 
And I guarantee you that somebody out there is going to listen to those words of you, you know, being that mom who was overweight and smoking and struggling with weight and like, how am I going to get myself, you know, from this position I am now to the absolute badass runner that you are today and be like, wow, that's like unbelievable. I didn't know that. Somebody out there was an athlete just like you. Somebody out there played soccer or they played lacrosse or they played field hockey and they took that different journey and they got to that place that you did and maybe they're stuck at that point right now and I hope if somebody shares this episode and they hear your words and they hear your voice they'll be inspired and say I'm gonna be like Allie I'm gonna get out there and I'm gonna change my shit and I'm gonna make a difference and I'm gonna I'm gonna start one day at a time absolutely control your own life that's it it's been so much fun Ron thank you for having me oh gosh it was my pleasure so thank you all the best to Chris and the kids. Thanks. Uh, for a great holiday. And uh, hopefully we'll get together for some some holiday fun at Roots or whatever. Roots part two, Wait, definitely. We still have to celebrate with uh, with your girl, Erin, right? I know, yeah, I know. Yeah, we still have to do that. So let's pull that together all soon. Right. Sounds all right. good. Everybody, thanks for listening. And uh, that's all from us. So peace out. And always remember, stay in the fight. Wow. In a word, amazing. Bravo, Allie for sharing your remarkable story with us. I have no doubt it will inspire and motivate many. For any moms at home that are struggling with some post-pregnancy weight, maybe not feeling great about your body image or your overall mental state of mind, hearing how Allie faced down those same challenges and talked so candidly about them and how she tackled them might be just the spark you need to ignite your own athletic journey. For anybody out there that's hitting the party circuit a little too hard and maybe taking up smoking like Allie did at that point in her life, if hearing her words can convince one person out there to give up that awful habit, what we're doing here will be a huge success. I think a huge moment for Allie on her running journey was hooking up with the awesome group Moms Run This Town and meeting fellow badass mom runners, Ashley, Naomi, Eileen, and Erin. Finding the people in your life who will challenge you, support you, hold you accountable, can make all the difference. And clearly, that's what this group did for Allie. They answered her beginner running questions, they welcomed her in, they made her feel comfortable, and they made her part of her tribe. And I just want to say, keep on inspiring and helping show other moms the path because you're doing some great stuff right there. I will clearly put a link in the show notes to Mom Run This Town so other moms can find them where they live. And let's take a look at some of the results Allie had after hooking up with this badass group and getting starting on her running journey. In May of 2014, at a Mother's Day 5K, Allie ran 26.19, which is 8.30 pace per mile. In September of 2015, she ran her very first half marathon at an hour and 48 minutes, which works out to 8.15 pace per mile. Truly remarkable jump in fitness in basically a year's time. Continuing on that crazy remarkable progression, in 2016, Allie ran the New Jersey Marathon, her first one, at 3.29, which jumps down to eight minute pace per mile, starting off at 8.30 pace for 5K. Now she's running a marathon at eight minute pace. And fast forward 
to this past year in Berlin, where I was there with her in September, and Allie runs a truly remarkable three-hour and three-minute marathon, which equates to seven minutes and three seconds per mile pace. In five years, she progressed from running 8.30 pace and a 5K race to nearly seven minutes flat for 26.2 miles. That is simply all-inspiring, jaw-dropping, remarkable stuff. And I just am so proud of the amazing results that Allie's had with running. And I just look forward to seeing where she's going to go from here. It's exciting stuff. And all of you need to jump on her Instagram page to follow along with her journey to see where she's headed next. At this point, I thought I'd give a couple of shout outs to her coach, James McCurdy, who's been working with Allie. Clearly, they have definitely are on the right path and doing some great work together. And I've had the chance to meet James in person down at the Houston Marathon this year. He's a great guy and a terrific coach. And I have no doubt they're going to continue to do great things together. So good job on that end. Keep up the good work. Look forward to seeing where you guys take this thing from here. And I always want to give a shout out to my producer of the show, Dave from InPost Media, for the amazing work that he does, pulling all this stuff together, editing the audio, pulling the clips and the music together. So thanks for the great work you always do for me, Dave, and making the show sound so professional. And since it is Thanksgiving, I wanted to take a moment to just wish you and your families all a happy Thanksgiving and express a little gratitude from the show. To each and every one of you who's taken the time to listen to one of my first two episodes and rate a review, share one of the first two stories, KBDs or Mark the Marathon Marcuses, um, write a, a beautiful review. There have been some remarkably positive reviews that have touched my heart deeply, and I just want to say thank you. It just means so much to me that any of you would take the time to take those extra steps to share their inspiring stories, Kelly's and Marcus's. Um, it just means a lot and it has such an impact with us trying to find new listeners. And I just wanna say that I'm blessed to have you all along as part of our journey on, on the Run Chat Show. So thank you all for that. And as always, if you're moved by Allie's story and you'd like to share, rate or review wherever you guys get your podcast groove on, it will really help Run Chats find new listeners, and I think it will inspire many to hear Allie's story. And lastly, I just want to say to all of you, safe travels, getting home to your families to celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday. Give out huge hugs to your family, tell them you love them, and for anybody out there that doesn't have anybody to spend this holiday with, I know how difficult and stressful a time like that can be. So my prayers and thoughts are with you, and I just wanted to say that anybody out there that knows someone in that situation, reach out, say hello, try to meet them for coffee, a drink, or share a meal, because that can be a really challenging time for people that are in that place that don't have family to celebrate these wonderful holidays with. So that's all from me, getting ready to roll out. I just want to say peace out to everybody, and always remember to stay in the fight.